Bears, let's begin, let's begin. Okay. Okay, everyone put away your phones, please. Phones away. Okay. Okay, Michael, phone away. Okay. So uh, just a little um, heads up, as you know, we've switched Mariv. So that means if we go overboard in the Chug, then you don't really get to Mariv one time. And even though we value Talmud Torah, there's a famous Gemara in Shabbos that some Chazal were learning at the expense of davening, davening properly. And even though the Talmud Torah can kulam, and Talmud Torah is eternal, and davening is ephemeral, a transitory, the answer given was, that there's a time for learning, there's a time for davening. So that means that every year I'm going to set my watch for 7.12. And whatever happens at 7.12, I finish that sentence. I don't care if I'm in the middle or not in the middle. So that means you have three minutes to get back to the daven. So we'll walk out quickly. I haven't seen any questions. You're welcome to accompany me after davening. We want to make sure that we don't ruin davening at the close of the chok. So when you hear this go off, everyone get ready. Put yourself together. And we walk back to Shul to make sure we hit davening. So Parsha Kisavo is a chock-full Parsha. It's a Parsha that begins the road to Rosh Hashanah. I mentioned this morning in the year that Ezra wanted us to read Kisavo prior to Rosh Hashanah for various reasons. And it's a parsha that contains the Har Sinai upon entering Eretz Yisrael. You can't enter Eretz Yisrael without recreating Har Sinai. We don't deserve this land without receiving Hashem's Torah, enacting Hashem's Torah, trying to ground Hashem's presence in our world from the broadcast booth that is Eretz Yisrael. This is our broadcast booth. This is where we're meant to broadcast to the world Hashem's presence, Hashem's morality. So it's inconceivable that we'd enter Eretz Yisrael without our Sinai. There are differences between Hargrizim and Harival and our Sinai, obviously two versus one. Obviously, it's a more of an active role. The Jews aren't standing beneath the mountain waiting. They're announcing, they're participating in the brachos, and various other differences, but written large, this is a Har Sinai moment. And there's a list of brachos, there's a list of aros, so instead of commandments, it's more... Instead of just ten, they seem to be more encompassing of a broader range. And then there's one Aurora that seems very generic, almost as if it doesn't have to be listed. It's redundant. It seems to repeat what's already been written. Now let's focus on that Aurora tonight. It's the first source, number one. Aurora sheloyakim is diriatarazos. Lasasos. Very general. Aurora sheloyakim, well... Every mitzvah, I mean, the other arrows iterated specific aspects, uh, relations with parents, um, mistreating blind people or vulnerable people. Arash Eloi Akim, or just some general summarizing arrow, it's implicit. Every mitzvah has to be kept, and every other has to be avoided. Why is a person cursed if he doesn't keep a mitzvah? What, are we extending arrows to all the mitzvahs after we give a list of a few then Arash Eloi Akim is called the Tarazos? So what is this word, Arash Eloi Akim is the Tarazos? So I'm going to discuss three or four different approaches, and each of them really crucial. Some of them about life in yeshiva, some of them about life after yeshiva. Sometimes I want to give you messages that are relevant tomorrow. Sometimes the messages that store away, think about them. I don't just want to build healthy, sturdy, ovdashen, or 18-year-olds, but to plant ideas in your head so that when you're 20 and 30 and 40, and these issues become a little bit more relevant. So this is something I should really be careful about. It's a lifelong process, but I hope... I hope at the very, very least, you're in the process of realizing it's a slow process for some, and it takes a while, but this isn't a one and done. I think a lot of the transition to yeshiva is you think of yeshiva as your year to excel 
in religion and to learn Torah and to grow religiously. I heard those phrases. And when I, when I meet boys, when I interview boys, and to a degree, it's, it's not, I won't say immaturity, like you're not mature, but it's what you've been accustomed to. I grow, and then I move on to the next growth point and the next growth station. And now you realize religion is something important, and to excel in it, you really work at it your entire life. I'm so much older than you, and right now I'm going through my own L experience. How can I improve? How can I become a different person? It's not that vastly different than when I was your age. It's different because the terms and the conditions and the factors in my life are really different, but it's the same tone. I, I could be on the other side of the table. I remember being here in this room during Elul saying, how can I change? How can I become a different person? How can I be honest with myself? How can I be courageous with myself? So it's not that one and done, and, and how could you start a process that will continue to unfurl your whole life and come back? Obviously, you're going to continue to grow and meet new people and meet new rabbanim and meet new ideas and find new pathways of Vodas Hashem, but you're trying to set a tone and you're trying to absorb some basic ideas. So the Ramban's first idea is as follows. Source number, Gimel. Um, well, since we have, let's just quote Rashi. I'll be very, very brief with Rashi. We'll come back to Rashi at other points during the year. Rashi says the addition of this last aura of the entire Torah is until now, there are many reasons that we keep the Torah. We keep the Torah because we're enthusiastic. We keep the Torah because we believe deep down, as much as we don't know why all the time, we, we, we truly believe that milk and meat is, is toxic for us. We can't prove it scientifically, but science isn't the be-all and end-all of human of, of knowledge. And we believe that shatnis at some level is, is dangerous to ourselves, to the world, to the cosmos. Remember, we're, we're not empiricists. Empiricism is one aspect of human experience. But there are parts of our world that we can't trace with science and we can't trace with cognition and they still exist and exert forces on us and we participate with them. And so not every mitzvah is going to be explainable in sociological, anthropological, psychological, biological terms. There will be metaphysical mitzvahs whose meaning can't be charted in the human sphere. So we believe that every mitzvah has purpose and we're excited best we can, we, we identify with mitzvahs, we have a covenant with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that covenant is reinforced at the end of Kisavo, if you violate the covenant, if you maintain the covenant, there are many, many parts of why we keep But Rashi says, at this point, we actually took a Shavuah. The Arur is one of the languages of Shavuah. The Gemara says, if you use a language of Arur, under certain conditions, based on certain shittos, it's like you took a Shavuah. So this last Arur, Rashi says, is institutionalizing Shemira Samitzvos, not just as a brand, and not just because we're excited, not just because of the meaning, but because we took a Shavuah. And now we're oath bound. And the Gemara actually says if a person takes a Shavuah to be Makayim Mitzvah, does anyone know why that Shavuah is in Chal? If I take a Shavuah to put on Tefillin, what does the Gemara say? Ein Shavuah Chal al Shavuah. The Gemara says we're Mushbaviyomed. We already have taken an oath to keep Torah. And you can't double up. If I take an oath to eat bread today, I can't take another oath to eat bread because it's, not, it's superfluous. It's overlapping. Of course, if I take a shvua to break a mitzvah, again, under many conditions, the shvua is in chal because it's a shvua levatal shvua. But you take a shvua to put on tefillin, I can't. So it's an internal shvua, logistic problem, logistical problem. So what do we see in Harsina? We take a shvua. Harsina, there's no language of shvua. There's a bris in Harsinai. There was an acceptance of Harsinai. There's a carbon in Harsinai. But Harsinai in Yisra doesn't present any shvua. So at least Rashi believes that the Shavuah emerges in Parshish Kisavo. And the role of the Shavuah, we'll talk about this a lot this year, how do you calibrate religion between passion, faith, belief, identification, um, internalization, all the areas of religion we strive for. What do we really strive for? We want to believe in it. We want to be excited by it. We want to understand it. We want to be drawn to it. All that 
and then just mandatory <coughs> commitment, where you wake up certain mornings and it just doesn't work for you and you're not excited or you're standing and you don't understand or you reach that bump in the road and you're facing an Akedah-like moment and you just say, I'm a committed person and I obligated myself and Akedah Baruch was obligated to me and even though it doesn't suit me, it doesn't excite me, I'm an Eben Hashem. And Ravaran spoke so much about being an Eben Hashem. That I'm sure you've heard this before. If you haven't, it's completely out of context, but it's worthwhile to be out of context. Ravaran was asked, and I know that Ellie spoke a little bit earlier today about that book, Seeking His Presence, which is really a great, great, great book to get exposed to. Look and see in interviews with Sabato, short little bite-sized spurts of Ravaran. And they asked Ravaran, what do you want on your grave when you pass? And you can imagine, yeah, I could line up ten graves and only begin to describe who this man was. And he said, I only want two words. He wants, Oved Hashem which isn't even Eved Hashem, and one day we'll discuss the difference between Oved Hashem and Eved Hashem. It's me Oved Hashem. And then what made Ravaran so riveting and so compelling was he was so bright, and he was so noble, and he was so gentle, and he was so sophisticated, he was so enlightened, and he was so, was so modern, words that we associate with modern modalities, and yet his Avodas Hashem and his raw energy and the way he screamed the Heshmei Rabbah and the way he stood for Kriyasatara, the way he stood when he was an older person, it was painful. You could see the pain on his face. And just the sheer ability to be an Eved Lefnei Rabbo was absolutely captivating. And it just, it, it's, it's so hard because the word Eved sounds scary and the word Eved sounds cumbersome. And how do you roll that into your Avodah Hashem? That today I'm going to put on tefillin, even though I don't care about it, I'm going to keep a mitzvah, even though I, I don't understand it because I took an oath and I'm chayiv and I'm, it's mitzvah v'yosa and I live a life of commandment. How's commandment? wed itself to modern sensibility. We don't like commands. We like to be free and democratic and, and liberty and free. And, and so much of it is trying to find a way to finesse obligation and mandatory ideas into your modern experience. So this is Rashi. We'll talk about it a lot. I don't want to get bogged down on it tonight, but just know that according to Rashi, this final error creates a, a broader, we call it a skin almost, a skin for religion. We have skins for religion. There's a skin of passion, and then there's a skin of confidence, and there's a skin of... Of redemptiveness. We find that religion is redemptiveness. It helps us, it ennobles. This is another skin because you're just obligated. And I promise you, if you don't have that skin, it's going to be a tough, tough sledding. Because all those other skins sometimes fade in the spotlight of reality and under the crushing bright lights of difficulties. But that skin of being mandatory and obligated and falling back and being able to accept obligation and perform obligation, it's very durable. It doesn't oscillate based on your mood or based on the conditions around you. It just lasts, and that's, that's something that you have to be able to work on. And here's the good part about it. Please, everyone, listen. It's not easy at your age to feel religion based on obligation. It's not easy. It's something to work towards. And if you don't feel it for a year or two, there's not the dominant strain, don't give up hope. Don't say, oh, it's not me. It just means that it's something you have to work towards. Some people have it naturally. A lot of times it just happens with who your role models are or what type of message you receive with religion. Today we're doing a great job in selling religion based on the inner value and the inner purpose and the way that it redeems your life and it provides meaning and content and fulfillment and values. And, but you're a little bit victimized by that because what happens when it doesn't? What happens with the parts of religion you can't trace to ennobling? What happens when it doesn't make sense and all that content, meaning, fulfillment doesn't resonate? Do you say, well, I'm just an Eben Hashem? And, I'm sure if you grew up, uh, I don't know, in, in um, B'nai Brak, you won't hear any of those words. You'll just be natural to uh, I'm, I'm born into this world as an Eved Hashem, and that's what I do, because I'm an Eved Hashem. And these are strange words, meaning, kind of, just, I'm an Eved Hashem. So how do you create that holistic sense of religion?
But the Ramban has three, has three or four other ideas, and I want to discuss some of those ideas. The first idea is, oh, and all these are crucial. These Rambans are crucial. We've seen several Rambans in Shas. Now you're seeing a crucial Ramban in Latara. Ramban says, Lefi dati ki ha-kabbalah hazos sheyoda b'mitzvah libo v'yiyeh b'einav emes v'yamin she'osa osan yelo schar v'tova. Basically, according to the Ramban, Ar Asher Lo Yakim means, do you affirm, the word Yakim can be termed affirm, do you affirm the value of mitzvahs, that mitzvahs are meaningful? Essentially, are you a person of Amuna? Do you believe? Are you able to see beyond the mitzvah and see that it has meaning, or trust that there's meaning, even if it's withheld from you? And the Ramban is a very interesting contrast. If you deny the meaning, say a person gets up and says, oh, shotness, that's ridiculous. Paraduma, that's ridiculous. Dine erva, that's old-fashioned. Oh, that's all. He violates this hour because he is essentially dismissed or disqualified amidst of having any meaning. And the Ramban contrasts. Listen to this contrast. It's a really, really important contrast. But he writes, line number four, avalim Let's each just violate a mitzvah. You eat chazir. Oh, you miss sukkah or lulav. But it's not because you deny the meaning of sukkah and lulav. Why did you miss it? You were weak. You were tired. You didn't want to spend money. You didn't want to exert. You felt prey to your Sahara. You're not included in this aro. Because if I interviewed you and say, do you believe in the iser basa b'chalav? Of course I do. Why did you eat basa b'chalav? I just I want a cheeseburger. Uh, it's hard for me to keep it. Do you believe in dini erva? Of course I do. Why did you violate? I just uh, my, my lust got the better of me. My passions got the better of me. My hormones got the better of me. You're not included in this hour. Hour is someone that ideologically, fundamentally, wrestles with the ideas behind mitzvot and rejects those mitzvot of having any meaning or any relevance. And it's a very important message because I know a lot of high school kids, a lot of adults, you struggle, one second, you struggle with a lot of guilt because you have these areas in halacha that you constantly get wrong and you try and you try and you try and sometimes it's like banging your head against a wall and you fail. And that doesn't mean you're not orthodox. It just means you're a human being who has limitations and weaknesses and failures. And that's what Ramban is saying. Give yourself a break. I mean, don't let yourself off the hook. But give yourself a break. Orthodoxy doesn't mean you get it all right. Orthodoxy means you accept them all. And you try your hardest to get them all right. And inevitably you fail. So you get back up the next day. And you get back in the ring and you try harder. A lot of times people feel this pent-up guilt and this pent-up guilt and this pent-up guilt... And one of two things happens, but it leads to the same conclusion. Either they just get tired of living with guilt, and they just say, you know what, I just can't take this guilt anymore. I'd rather a life of pleasure than a life of morality, because if guilt's the price for a life of moral conviction, I don't want to pay it. And for some boys, and some people, and some people, it's both, you know, all this guilt, I must be already fallen, and I must be already out of the circle, and I'm so bad, why should I even bother because I'm irreparable and I'm unredeemable? So I may as well enjoy myself because there's no way back for me. And a lot of times it's a little of both. You're looking for a way out of guilt so you convince yourself that you're no longer in the orbit and all of a sudden you walk out. So I've said this maybe before. I apologize if I did. In that corner, all the way back there, near the water, imagine someone who says, I accept all the mitzvahs and I understand all the mitzvahs and all the mitzvahs have meaning except one. And that one, it's... it's ancient, it's outdated, it was it doesn't make sense I'm a, so he excels, he's, a, he's an all star at 612 but he just fundamentally ideologically dismisses one and in this corner you have the klutz who accepts all mitzvahs and all of eros 
but just can't shoot straight. And he's always violating mitzvahs and always violating... A, believe it or not, this is the orthodox. That's not orthodox. This is the one who hasn't violated Asher Leikim. He's not struggling with any meaning of mitzvahs. He's trying and some better, some worse. Better days, worse days. Whereas in that corner, you have someone who fundamentally wrestles and struggles with mitzvahs. Yes? Um, is that different than in this day where someone says, I don't think this mitzvah has a reason, but I'm going to keep it. Like, they think that the only reason that we have it is not like that there's that's that's fine. Hashem, some mitzvahs have reasons that are known to us. Some mitzvahs have reasons that we just can't reach, but that's technically because we're just not smart enough. Some mitzvahs have reasons that maybe are only known beyond human cognition, so no one can reach them. And in theory, there could be mitzvahs that have absolutely no meaning. But Hashem instructed us just to build our discipline, right? If if you're a drill sergeant in the army and you tell your soldiers, right now you have to go eat. You're not really building discipline because they really want to eat. But if I say, right now, you have to stand for two hours in the boiling hot sun and not scratch your nose for two hours, that's completely idiosyncratic. That's completely arbitrary. That builds discipline. So in theory, if Hashem really wants to build our discipline, the mitzvah shouldn't have meaning. And there's a live debate about this in Mishon and whether mitzvahs do have meaning available, what level of meaning is available, or is Hashem just out to build our discipline? And obviously most of our Masara feels that there are basic meanings to mitzvahs, some beyond Amai reach, some beyond Moshe Rabbeinu's reach, some beyond human reach. But if you, if you see a mitzvah and you want to, again, it's hard to know, but if you want to, because we can only render those decisions based on human capabilities. But if you want to say that you believe there's certain mitzvahs that Hashem just imposes to build discipline, that's perfectly within the orbit of legitimate thought. Okay? So the Ramban says that Arashaloya Kim is about being able to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu and see his logic through a mitzvah. Sometimes the mitzvahs and the externals, they block us. We get so caught up in the mitzvahs. We had an expression for that in yeshiva, someone who worships the Shulchan Aruch but doesn't worship Hashem. Get so caught up in the details of the mitzvahs and how to perform them that it's no longer a spiritual experience. It's no longer a Kaddishman, it's no longer a Frumkat. It's just following details. Look, it can happen with Talmud Torah as well. Very often people are unable to feel a Kaddish Barhu in the room when they learn Torah and they work very hard on the skills and the skills and the skills, but it's hard for them to see it as Avodah Hashem and hard for them to feel it as a Kaddish Barhu's word. And I imagine a lot of you are going through that struggle now in the beginning. You know, you're learning at, at such a high clip, both time-wise, investment, the way you're learning. You're not just. It's, it's sometimes it's easier when you're not asked to develop your skills, to feel as if you're involved in a spiritual experience, as if you just listen and see how this experience shapes you and moves you. And sometimes when it's about skills, it's the old dissection myth that when I take someone and dissect them on the table, it loses its mystique because now it's just body parts and organs and hearts and lungs. So we're taking sigyos and we're dissecting them. How to read a Ramban, how to read a Rashba, how to read a Tosvos. And for some boys, it's harder to feel from there. Oh, are we building? I get this question all the time in interviews. Rebbe, what should I come to Yeshiva for? To work on my skills or to work on my love of Torah? And I have to tell you, that's, that's just a wrong question. That's a broken question. If you're not interested in loving Torah and you don't see it as Devar Hashem, you won't invest enough resources to build the skills. You really want to build the skills of learning. I mean, it's a little scary. I don't mean to scare you, but if you really want to be a Talmud Chacham, the good part is there's really nothing in your way. Everyone in the street, I'm looking around. There are people, I don't know all your levels, but there are people who are currently Talmud Chachamim who came from much, much less background than anyone in this room. It's only just hard work. That's the good news. The bad news is it takes about seven years. Average about six, seven years of hard commitment to Talmud Torah. 
The second good news is, Baruch Hashem today, in most cases, there are frameworks that enable continued high-paced, high-level learning alongside a professional advancement. Depends what. Depends uh, what you want to be, how much Torah you want to learn. But I hope that at some point in your minds, some of these guys actually ask me, Rebbe, why should I come to Gosh? All these shivas seem great. All these shivas seem like I can have a good time and be firm and stuff. Again, I'm not saying this as supposed to. If you ask me what I see we're trying to create is in addition to being Ovdeh Hashem, in addition to being Shavit Mitzvah, in addition, I really want to populate a generation of Tamir Chacham. Our, our community isn't going to get anywhere if we don't have Tamir Chacham. We need solid, firm Tamir Chacham. How, how, how many people... That you, that you met in your life. I always like making these mental experiments to give you something to shoot for. How many people that you met in your life that weren't rabbeim or teachers were Talmidei Chachamim? Some of you have parents. Some of you may know people in shul. But if you walk into a shul in Borough Park or in B'nai Brak, I don't know whom. It's hard to tell. Everyone's dressed the same, so you can't tell based on the externals. But my job is an interesting question for the Sephardic community. I mean, how many Talmidei Chachamim? You, know, you're, you're, you, know, you didn't have as much of a yeshiva impact in the earlier generations, so you're trying to you know, populate that, and, and, and that's a tremendous service to the community, to uh, South Africa and Australia. Yeah, the, that need is so much more greater than it is, and it, it, to be honest, it's frustrating to me when boys who have that potential, and the need is so great, and they just, they're unable to say, I can make a major impact. Not by being a Rebbe, although that may be as well, but simply by being a top-rate, top-flight, top-shelf, Tamil So it takes a lot of investment. If you don't have the love of Torah, you won't get the skills. And the the converse is also true. If you don't have the skills of Torah, you can shake away and you can make believe. And at a certain point, it's going to be exposed. You have to know to climb into the Ramban's world and climb into Tulsa's world and admire these people and live with these people. And so the people in my shir know I try to make it personal. Who are these people? What were they saying? Let's spend a year living with the Ramban. Let's spend the year replacing LeBron James with the Ramban and replacing Tom Brady with the Rambam. And all of a sudden, caring more about these people and their statements, and it's really important not just to find a moon and mitzvahs, but to be able to find a Kaddish Baruch Hu and Tamatara, especially when you learn at a high level. How, how would you do it? Let me give you three or four tips. Okay, three or four tips. I know many of you are, are still easing your way into yeshiva, but Mechani Ben Akana made a tefillah before you enter the base of Medrash. You all know the tefillah. It's plastered on the base medrash. Tefillah, when you leave the base medrash, either you can say that tefillah because it's a tone setter, or if you don't say that tefillah, just at least spend a minute before you're learning and saying, I hope to meet Hashem, right? You want to go on a date and just back into a date. One day you'll be dating. Some of you maybe are already. There's reason I'm like Dimi already starting the process. But one day you go on a date, not just, okay, I have a date tonight. Okay, first the Seder, let's run out. You'll comb your hair, you'll think about, you'll think about what you, know, what you, want, to, not what you want to accomplish. I'm meeting someone, but... Some thoughts that take 30 seconds and say, either topically, what do I hope to learn today? What do I hope to gain from that learning? Or at least experientially, I hope I find a Kodesh Baruch today. Or think of something unrelated to Talmud Torah, but just frame the experience so that you know that you're not sitting with the text or you're not sitting with the book. You're sitting with the Rebbeinah Shalala. Because experiences are always defined by their bookends. Right? In this week's Parsha, there were three stones, three heaps of stones. Who knows where the three stones were placed? Who read Rashi already? Who already is up to Rashi? Where are the three groups of stones placed? One is Gilgal. And the second, sorry, Gilgal. The second one is in Hargrizim and Harev, all the Mizbeach. But where's the first one? In the Yardane. They put heaps of stones. Because the way we begin experiences are formative. So it's one thing to have stones in Hargrizim and Harev, who knows when they got there. It's one thing to have stones in Gilgal if they already set up camp. But what about creating some symbol of Torah? 
some symbol of the Shvatim, literally as you're walking through security, you're walking over the Arde, you're walking through the Arde, right there when it's fresh, when it's sharp, when, when it's raw, when you're locked in, Joe. When it's, this is our way of keeping voice. We need to call our Shana Bet policy. Okay? We want to have a Shana Bet policy, which is lock the doors and don't let you leave until... Uh, okay, so no one's so Joe thought he's locked out. Don't worry, not locking anyone in. Okay, so, so maybe think a little. When you start Torah, when you start learning, when you end learning... Um, another tip. Think about Berachas HaTorah every morning. There are three Berachas HaTorahs, Mondays and Thursdays, five, because you recite a Shabbat Harbanu and a Shabbat Harbanu. Just, I know most of tefillah were half asleep, and most of tefillah were in a different planet, and most of tefillah, but just when you say that Berachas HaTorah, just think about what Torah means to you, and then see if you can bridge that over an hour later when you're starting to learn. Sometimes that's a good tactic. Another tactic is not just the Birchas HaTorahs, but um, there are so many beautiful parts of tefillah that talk about Torah Ava Rabba, which we play for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's intercession. As much as I can understand this sugya, I won't unless HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps me. I want to have a chavrisa with you. V'seimli be'inu bina, l'havinu l'haskil, l'shmoa, l'lmod, l'lameh, l'shmoa v'lasos, l'kayim. Or think about how much pride we should feel that HaKadosh Baruch Hu selected us to give us his word and that we are left to wander on our own devices, Asher, Shabarach HaLokeinu, Shabaranu L'chavodah, and Evolatzion, Hevdilanu Min HaTawim. Tawim doesn't mean people who are errorful, Tawim means people who wander. People who just can't find truth because they don't have the Torah to guide them. So, see, if it's not natural, it's not happening, and you feel, because for a lot of people, they're not able to see beyond the experience to see HaKadosh Baruch whether it's a mitzvah, whether it's Talmud, that's what the Ramban says. The Ramban says, Ar Hashem Yakim means, it's one thing to perform mitzvahs, but are able to affirm the mitzvahs have values, mitzvahs have logic, or maybe they don't have logic, but they just have meaning, even without logic, illogical meaning, normative meaning. That's the second approach, or the first approach in the Ramban. Then the Ramban quotes Yishami. Let's read the Yishami. I know we haven't been reading too many texts, so therefore we'll get some texts under our belt. Let's try to explain them. Source number Gimel, section two. Uvi Yishami Basota, Raisi, Arur Asher Lo Yakim. Yishami asks, Vichyesh Torah Nofelas. What does it mean, Asher Lo Yakim? Torah falls down, that you have to reinforce Torah. So, there are three different approaches. Let's just read one approach, and then we'll get to the Ramban's approach. Okay. Amar Rabbi Asi, B'Shem Rabbi Tanchum. Line number four in that second paragraph. There are three or four opinions in the Yishalmi. Let's read the fourth. Amar Rabbi Asi, B'Shem Rabbi Tanchum Barchia. Listen carefully. Interesting. Lamad Vilimed. If you learned and you taught. Shama. You kept all the mitzvahs. Viasa. And you fulfill them. So this is the person who we don't, anyone's book we call a tzaddik. He learns, he teaches, he's B'Kayim Mitzvahs. What's missing? Line number four, second section. V'haya sipek biyado lehachzik v'lo hichzik hareze b'chlal arar. Namely, there's this whole separate part of Torah that's not about learning, not about teaching, not about mitzvahs, but it's called lehachzik es Or in the Pasuk, lehakim, to be makim, arashe lo yakim, to fortify, to hold. Asher lo yakim, to hold. And say, arashe lo yilmad, arashe lo yilamed, arashe lo yikayim, arashe lo yakim. So there's this whole part of Avodah Hashem that has nothing to do with Talmud Torah and nothing to do with learning and teaching and mitzvahs. It has to do with lahachzik. 
or just to whet your appetite until we define what it is. Look at section 5. Eitz Chaim He. Anyone finish the sentence? Most famous Pasuk? Machazikim. But I didn't say Eitz Chaim He. Lelom Dimba. Eitz Chaim He. Leamelimba. Eitz Chaim He. Tara is an Eitz Chaim. Lemachazikimba. What does that mean? Let's read the Medrash. Ilu Nemar Eitz Chaim He. Leamelimba. I didn't say people that work and learn. Ilu Nemar Shelo Yilma. Doesn't say about learning and teaching. Lakach Nemar Eitz Chaim He. Line for Lemachazikimba. What does that mean? So Rabbi explains, Rafun explains. Line number four. Im Adam Let's say you failed religiously. How should you recover? And Could you imagine that? Imagine feeling under the gun, feeling behind the eight ball. How can you climb out of that rabbit hole? So the Medrash says, Mayasa Im four lines from the bottom, you normally learn one page of the Gemara Koshnei If you learn one parak, you should learn two prakin. But what if you don't learn? What if you're not a learner? What if you can't learn? How do you climb out of that position? So the matter says, line number two from the bottom, Start supporting Torah. Namely, the word yakim or machazikimba means do you support Torah? Not that you learn. Not that you teach, not that you fulfill mitzvahs, do you support Torah? How do you support Torah? Well, first of all, the obvious way is with your time and with your money. Some of you will have a lot of money. Some of you will not have a lot of money. But obviously, whatever money you come by, you should be trying to support the events of Torah, however you are. It doesn't have to be to make major donations to... Uh, to Yeshiva Haratzion, or to Rabbi personal slush fund. Think about the following. First of all, pay your tuition. Now, that's not so easy because tuition in many places, it lives really high, there's a tuition crisis, but it should be your honor, right? You, 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 don't, you don't go to a restaurant and say, well, can you give me half off? Because you deem eating in a restaurant is supremely important, so you're willing to pay. So again, obviously, there's a thin line, there's a sweet spot between what you can afford and what you can't afford. And can't be forced to be poor or impoverished because you can't afford it, but it shouldn't be this. It should sometimes the tuition crisis creates acrimony and antagonism between parents and institutions, between parents and the community, and it shouldn't be acrimonious. Obviously, money is very hard, and sometimes can fall into that. But what would you? How could you justify any greater expense in the Talmud Torah and the education of your children? What would be more important than that? So whatever money you can or can't donate, first of all, it should be happily and voluntarily. And second of all, it should be, it should be to the best of your capacity. Think about all the money, I'm shifting now, that your parents spent on you for ski trips or for sports teams and leagues or for piano lessons or for extra boosts and so you should be better in math or better in... Well, one day you'll be a parent. Do you also want to boost your kid in learning? Is that something that's important to you? Well, the good news is that could come free of charge if you're successful this year. If you're aiming for something this year, right, 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 what does this all mean? Paint for me a picture. How will this all impact my life in 20 years? Give me a real picture, a real vivid scene. How is that? I want to be a Tom Yeah, but that's all abstract. So here's a vivid scene, okay? You come home at night. You're a professional. It's now 25 years down the pike. Are you able to sit with your son and learn? 
on a real level, explain Torah to him. And those of you who had that with your parents, great, you know what I'm talking about. Those who didn't have it with your parents, here's your chance. Be the first person in your family to make that paradigm shift. I can't give my kids a lot of money for their bar mitzvahs. I don't know, maybe your parents gave you a lavish bar mitzvah party and lavish gifts and trips to who knows where. But my kids know that my gift to them, at least with three out of four, that my gift to them was that we went through an entire seder of shas together for the bar mitzvah. That's 500 blot. So I can't get $500, I can get 500 blot. And I worked hard on it. It took me three, four years with each kid. So there are some real, real achievements that you're striving for this year. Do you want who, who, how do you want to be? What type of father do you want to be? Abba, Abba, you know, is this us or is this mutter? How do we do this on Shabbos? So some types of fathers who don't want to say, well, say, that's the rabbi, which is great because it shows halachic fidelity, but not as good as saying, Oh, it's us or it's mutter. Let's look it up together. Let's take out a Shemir Shabbos Kielchasah. Let's find out the take out Penini Halacha together. I heard from my Rebbe. I have a story. I was sitting in Yeshiva at Haritzion and the question came up and Rav Amital said or Rav Aaron said or I heard the name of the Rav, I heard the name of the Chachamavad or whatever. That's a message. That, that sets a tone that Halacha should be taken seriously. For some people who don't know, instead of saying let's ask a rabbi, it becomes, oh, that's not a big issue. Just do it anyway. That's a terrible message. I take a lacha seriously. I just do it. No one's watching. You know, I'll do it. You know, uh, I'll just do it quickly. Let's freak out. Let's just you know, got to get it done. Got to have the food. Have to, have to make sure the lights are off, the air conditioning is on, heat zone, whatever. Let's just turn the switch on. That's not the way of your. I can tell you, grandparents didn't act that way. Grandparents froze to death before they were light a fire on Shabbos. So, those are some real games you can make. But if you can't, let's say you're not someone who becomes a tamachacham. Maybe you hire someone to live with your kid once a week. Why, why is a baseball league or um, uh, call a chug, I guess you'd call it lessons or whatever other clubs you're willing to pay for, why, not just for your kid, for yourself. People aren't able to learn. I think of all the money you spend on, I'm not talking to you, you're 17. But think of, as adults, think of all the money you spend going to the gym every day, going on vacation, going to restaurants. Why should at least $50 a week? I'm sure there are plenty of cola boys who would be more than happy to come learn with people for an hour a week for $50. I'm sure $60, whatever. I don't know what the price is these days, but I'm sure it'd be easy. Simple. But it's not just about money. And it's not just about time. It's about, do you support Tara attitudinally? And I'm going to bleed into some other issues now, but it's important to get this. One of your missions has to be this year, not just internally. What type of Tamachachim do you become? What type of Bentar do you become? Obed Hashem. But think about the bad rap that Yeshiva Bachrim and Torah has in the broader world. How many times were you exposed growing up to people who lambasted Torah, who lambasted Rabbanim, who made fun of the Torah world, who made fun of Yeshiva Bachrim, and just... Now, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just assessing. I'm sure there's enough blame to go around. I'm sure there's a lot of sarcasm and cynicism of the disclaimers. And I'm sure the, some of the people invited by their behavior, by their... Uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not trying anymore. We're not incriminating. This isn't a jury. But the question is, who's going to change it? Who's going to make that change? Can you be someone that wears religion well, inspiring... That people will say, oh my goodness, look at what Torah can do. Look at the type of person it can create. Look at the needles. Look at the way he's kind to people. He talks to people. He isn't racist. He isn't uh, insensitive. He, that. Because in the end, guys, Torah is not an end-sum game, zero-sum game. Either you learn or you don't learn. There's a lot of shades in the middle. You know, for a lot of you guys who are saying, wow, think about my family. 
They'll never learn Baba Basra Hashur from the Ramban in the basic Knesset. What am I going to bring back to them? Like, how is this going to affect my family? Because I hope that there are 30 families sitting in this room. I hope that the yeshiva, all yeshivas, but this yeshiva in particular, because of its gravitas and because of its weight, can change families. I, when, I, when I meet kids and I see families behind kids, I get very often very excited. Oh, this is a family that deserves yeshiva. And I'll tell the boys, I'll tell the parents, this is something, because it's not just the yeshiva for 17 and 18 and 19-year-olds and then you move on to other great. This is a yeshiva that... As you see, alumni come back, and there's a certain place in the world, a certain place, and then you'll see this as time goes on, that this is not just a, a place where 17, 18, 19 <coughs> kids come to learn. This is something that changes communities and changes families. So how is this yeshiva going to affect my family? So maybe it will very deeply, but even if your parents never come and learn the yeshiva at Harzion, or don't change their learning habits of the da, can they say, you know what, this is a... This is a place that I believe in. In Torah, this is the way Torah should be. I'm, I'm favorable to Torah. I support Torah. And I, I believe in Talmudic Chachamim. Because for so much, that's really the cutting edge of our conversation. Do we believe in Chazal? And do we accept their authority? When this world feels so modern and so different. And unfortunately, the more that Rabbanim let people down and the less that people are able to invest and identify with Rabbanim, sometimes that bleeds into an inability to accept Chazal. And it's just one big rabbinic authority that becomes hard and onerous and because it's not, it's not just about whether people learn. It's about how do they view Torah and how do they view religion. And that's something you really can change. You really can make a difference in that. Even if you don't move the needle towards better performance, you can move the needle towards better appreciation. And I've seen this. I, I've been teaching for 30 years. I've seen people who change their lives. And it's not because they daven better or learn more. Just all of a sudden they transform into people who really support Torah and really are excited by it in the community. They're the people that are running, and they're the people that are organizing programs, and they're the people that are hosting rabbis, and they're the people... You can really make a difference. And, and now I'm going to bleed into the third... When we have to the third? The fourth definition of Ur HaShelo Let's look at the Ramban's own definition, because it's very similar. It's a little different. Verli Nira, four lines from the bottom of that second piece in the Ramban. Al-Chazan, this is a specific curse for someone that doesn't. What does he say? He quotes a Masecha Sofrim, three lines from the bottom. Masecha Sofrim is one of the small Masechos that doesn't have Gemara. What does Masecha Sofrim say? You have to lift the Torah, Makbian also, Umara Pnei Kisivas Oliam, and show everyone the text. Haomdim Limino Velismolo, Umachzira Lafano Velachorov. You know what this is an error for? For people that do Hagba poorly. If you do Hagba properly, you're a Baruch. If you do Hagba improperly, you're an Aruch. What is the Hagba Olympics? The Chinese judge gives you a 10. The Russian judge gives you a 9.5 and you didn't stick the landing. It wasn't broad enough. It wasn't twirly enough. It wasn't, you know, all these guys, these big muscular guys that get up and do this. The timbrel Hagba. Everyone claps and applauds. But there's a special error on the Torah because of Hagba. And this, you guys, this is a metaphor. It's not about Hagba. Hagba is a metaphor. Is it a metaphor for showing Torah? No one's going to learn during that. Oh! I see that word. Baba Basra, Perkashutvin, Tosas. No one's learning. Hakba isn't learning. Hakba is an experience. So you see people kissing, fingers, Vazos HaTara, women's section, excitement about Tara. Most of the people, in fact, there's almost, there's almost an inverse relationship between the level of erudition and the level of excitement sometimes. Tamidim with the Rav, for example, myself, I'm very makbid. I don't even say the whole passage. I say the Zos Hatarash Hashem Moshe Lefnei Bnei Yisrael. I stop. Why? Because Al Pi Hashem Moshe is a half a passage. 
And the Rav was very mocked by not saying Hepsuk. That's why they kid us by Erev Rocky Yom Hashishini. So Alpi Hashem, I haven't said it in 30 years. Hashem Moshe, Lefnei Bnei Yisrael, Alpi Hashem, I haven't said Alpi Hashem yet. Moshe says, I'm super mocked on the halacha. They've got these people are mocked with their kissing, you would hollering. Was that a tarsh? Hashem Moshe, tell about Sparty and everything, all the women and Shul kissing, throwing. It's great. Sometimes halachic stricture can become a little bit too constraining. And so Hagba's not learning. Hagba's showing Torah to people, make them excited. Give me someone that makes Torah exciting to people. Maybe, maybe they'll learn more, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll keep on missing, maybe they won't. But what do they feel in their hearts? Does it bother you? Does it bother you when people are dismissive or sarcastic or disdainful? Does it, for that matter, does it bother you when people are disdainful to Haredim who learn Torah? We're not here to discuss their flaws or their strengths or but they're sitting and learning Torah Yom Hulayah just as we are. And, and even if you blame them entirely, let's say you come up and you say, it's all their fault. Let's say that's your position, which obviously I don't ascribe to, but does it hurt you that it's true that people are learning Torah and affiliated with Torah unless it's such scorn and hostility? It could be all their fault. That's, that's irrelevant. Does it hurt you? Does it pain you? Are you in it for, are you in it for yourself or are you in it for Torah? Does, does, does the state of Torah bother you? Does the way people view Torah bother you? I remember I asked the Shiloh, I'm not going to reveal too many details. I asked the Shiloh literally when I was your age. I've wanted the Rebbeim here. Because one of my family members, not my immediate family, but extended family, would welcome me when I saw that person in ways that I felt uncomfortable with because that person was a female. Let's just say very enthusiastic, very loving, very physical, and... I didn't feel comfortable with it. Now, just so you should know the halachos, okay, the Rambam calls it minag shotin. You, know, you shouldn't be kissing your aunt and you shouldn't be kissing your... The only females that a male should be kissing is a parent, obviously a wife, and a daughter. Even to the point that many, many people, unbeknownst, and I'm still not sure, like I'm still really torn about this, I'll be honest with you, they don't kiss their grandchildren. And um, if you take the pure Lashon of the Rambam, a male shouldn't kiss his granddaughter. So my granddaughter, after 12, my granddaughter's now three and a half. I got eight years to make that call. It's going to be a really hard one. Because I saw great people kiss their grand. I'll probably, you know, not because Rambam doesn't say it's Asr. If it was Asr, you don't move. You don't budge. It's Asr, it's Asr. You don't make your own call, judgment calls. Rambam calls it, it's a minag shotim. So, so uh, most people in the yeshiva world try to avoid kissing, and it's something, you know, if it's possible, you avoid kissing non-direct sisters, I don't have a sister, sisters, daughter, parent, wife, you, know, you, you, you avoid those types of contact. So I had a female member of my family who just didn't know the Rambam. <laughs> and um, it, w- it wasn't uh, even just, you know, the formal little kiss and you know, put your head out and we could just get away with what I call the head button, you know, those butt heads and how are you? It, it was a uh, there's a real zaftika kiss. So I, I asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, well, tell me about your relationship with this family member. And I started to explain the relationship, and that, that person really admires me and being in yeshiva and always talks about me. And I always say, you should think twice, because if you all of a sudden make a stand, and you all of a sudden say, oh, we're not going to kiss you, then all of a sudden you're going to sour her towards Torah and the world of Torah. And... and uh, so I got away with it because I came up with a cute, a cute trick. I told this female relative of mine that I really shouldn't be kissing you anymore because my girlfriends are going to be jealous. 
That was like a winning argument. Like, first of all, that I had girlfriends because she thought I was in Shiva Bakr. It was like some nerdy kind of, I didn't, but um, <laughs> it supported the narrative of a cool nephew or like they have girlfriends. And they can be jealous of her. Wow. So, really perfect out. If they want a perfect out, just say, I just can't get my girlfriend here. <laughs> my girlfriend would be so jealous. Right? Fresh, right? We've got a good fresh story, okay? Not going to tell you the name, but a good Frisch story. There's a boy here from Frisch long, long, long time ago. Long, it was long ago and far away. Long, long, different era. The Iron Age was here in Yeshiva. Today, that person is a Rosh Kolel who's written two Svarim, two big, big Zaftikas, big, big Svarim, Gishmaka Svarim, big, big Lamman, bigger Tamachachim than me. So he came over to me around November time. He says, Rebbe, there's a Frisch reunion, Matzei Shabbos. And there'll be boys and girls there, and I shouldn't go, right? I should say the best matter should learn, right? We, we officially have nights there at Matzah Shabbos in Yeshiva, so if you're here, you want to get a little extra learning done, right? I'm not telling you you have to, but you certainly shouldn't be in that mode that I can't open a safer from 10:15 Friday till 8:30 Sunday because there's no Torah zone. You can learn. You can learn. Not, not, not to. Not to in any way impress you, because that's my purpose here. I want to try to inspire you. But when I was in yeshiva, there was this guy who, um, there was this guy who was just a super learner, and everyone had already grabbed him for chavrusas, and I wanted to have a chavrusa. What can I do? I just don't have time for you. And he really taught me how to learn. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you, a pack. We're going to go on kamikaze tara sessions on Shabbos. We're going to make a deal, no tishes, no meals out, no sleeping, no showering. We're going to try to fit in as much as we can. So we learned until 10 minutes before Mincha on Friday. Ran home, took a shower in our rooms. Then we didn't go out, we learned two, three hours Friday night. Two, three hours Shabbos afternoon, took like an hour nap. And about four hours, Monday Shabbos. This person taught me how to learn. Without those kamikaze shabbosas, I wouldn't be here now. He literally taught me how to learn. So you can learn a little Mazda Shabbos. Anyway, this is Mazda Shabbos. I should stay in Yeshiva and learn, he said, right? So I said, Shimon, his name wasn't Shimon. I said, Shimon, you're really into learning, but I'm sure there are kids in your class, maybe not in Fridge, maybe in other schools, who aren't that excited about learning. They're not yet into it. And if you don't come, they're going to see it as smug and condescending and the Yeshiva, the Torah. And here they are again, the from kids. They don't want to interact. They don't want to socialize with us. I don't want to be from because if I'm going to be from, I'm going to be smug like him. So I don't want to. So he looked at me and said, so Rebbe, you're telling me to go. I said, how can I tell you to go? Bittol Tara. <laughs> so he said, what should I do? I said, this is why I step out. I'm not a decision maker. I'm a decision setter-upper. We don't want to make decisions for you, but we want to set it up because you're always lopsided and you're always thinking about certain factors and not other factors. You're always giving too much weight. When you come ask me about a decision, unless it's really out of bounds, Rebbe, should I go on a mass murder spree? I, I would hold off on that. Too. But, but assuming it's within bounds, so I say, okay, have you thought of all the issues? You're giving a little too much weight to this issue. It's called decision scattering. Very often, when you make decisions, it's hard to discern between the key factor and all the buzz. You say, this is buzz. Take it out. It's not it's buzz. This is just buzz. This is just status. This is the factor. Here it is. Look at this. Make the decision. That's yours. You're putting too much weight, too little weight. So that's how the Yishalmi and the Ramban describe it. The Ramban, are you, are you able to hold up a Torah? Think about that. You're here in Yeshiva. You know what's out there in the world. You know how much scorn there is. Some of you have been exposed to it. So I've been exposed to it in a very intimate fashion, maybe around the Shabbos table. <coughs> Does it hurt you? Basically, here, here, here's a nice way to say whose side are you on. It shouldn't be sides, because I don't like that binary, the good side, the bad side, but essentially, do you defend Torah? Do you defend Rabbanim? Do you 
Rav Luchensin is a great word, was very collegiate towards his colleagues. He's just always defending Tamina Chachamim, and whenever he'd be, he'd be in a room, like he just felt that, and, and I, to be honest, again, I, I feel it in my blood. Like whenever I'm with Rabbanim, I could agree or disagree, have this, this difference or that difference, but whenever there's an issue in the community, I just, I won't be the good person to help mediate a communal issue with Rabbanim. I'd be too biased towards Rabbanim. I say that in a, in a good way. I just feel like we're here working together and we're here trying to advance and most of us are sincere. And just, there's so much antagonism, hostility, and, and accurate, especially in our world where, where we're so far from Das Torah. That's a complete submission to the authority of Rabbanim. And that, okay, but have we careened too far off the grid? And, and not only do we not have Rabbanim, but there's almost an active antagonism to Torah and the Torah world. And, you know, guys, you can't fool your kids. They're going to see through you. So the comments you make and the way you view Torah, it's going to come through. It's going to come through. Think of the voices inside your head for a minute. Which voices inside your head? Your parents' voices. Things you heard at home. That's what's in your head. As time goes on, there'll be other voices, but let's face it, those voices never disappear. Those voices never vanish. So... What voices are you putting? Are they Torah-affirming voices and Rabbanim-affirming voices? And not just the voices, but what person you are in public. People say, oh, are you a, are you a play? You know, they have in sports plus negative, positive, minus. I don't know how, how they measure them. More defense, less defense. Like, when you were on the court, were you a positive agent and you contributed or were you a negative agent and you were a deficit? So when you're on that court and people see you, people say, oh, this is someone that really cares about halacha and really cares about Torah, but you know what? They're a person of the world. And they're not dismissive of others, and they're not smug, and they're respectful, and that's our Hashem. So let's just summarize the three approaches we saw, because we talked a lot in different veins. The, the, Rashi talks about mandatory taking a shvua. We'll talk about that a lot. I just wanted to put it out there. I'll try to amplify it as time goes on. The first shot in the Ramban is emuna. Can you have emuna that mitzvahs have meaning? Try your hardest. You don't succeed. You're in the same boat as all of us. Same boat as me. It doesn't make you less orthodox. Get past the guilt. Guilt is good. Feel the guilt. Guilt is a great, great emotion. One of the deepest emotions you could feel. Don't avoid guilt, but don't get overwhelmed by it. Don't opt out because it's too hard. Don't feel it's really irrecoverable. No one's irrecoverable. Chuva, there is no, tautologically, axiola, no one is removed from chuva. And we can all improve, and we all try to improve, and we're all together. The Rambans quotes the Yishalmi, can you be a machzik isatara? Okay, hopefully you'll learn, hopefully you'll teach, hopefully you'll perform mitzvahs, but even not. Can you be someone that actively supports Torah, monetarily, time-wise, communally? There's always, I told the boys in Shia the other day, think of all the people in your community who are the shul people, who really are invested in the shul and run the shul and live in the shul and have the keys to the shul. Who are the Torah people? Who are the people that buy the svarim in your, for your life? Who are the people that are always arranging adult education? <coughs> who are always hanging around listening to rabbis, either their Torah or their stories. Uh, or the people that just, they may not be the biggest Tamini Chachamim there, but they're the Torah people. They're the Machzikei Torah. And can you also be good at Hagbah? When you're holding up the Torah, metaphorically, not just good at Hagbah. Maybe you can't do I can't do Hagbah. I had surgery this summer, so I can't live for a couple of months. But when you're holding up the Torah, can you show people Torah? And, and I'll tell you, I'm committed to that. So that's why you'll see me sometimes during this year, not, not here. Because I'm traveling and I want to speak and share Torah. And I'm not so sure if my primary interest is to share a good vart 
or just to share a person that, oh, okay, that, that's as best as I can. That, that's a formula of Torah that, that makes sense and inspires us to be fun. Okay, we'll stop here. Let's go down. Thank <laughs> you.